Hi, welcome to the cottage. We are a lively outpouring of an exciting adventure into God's riches and glories in Christ Jesus. We regularly work to activate an excitement for the kingdom of God as it is in the now until it comes into its fullness. We invite you to our sessions to explore the heights and depths of God's love in a fuller bandwidth. I'm Dr. Ken, the pastor of a small independent church seeking to return to the Lord's zeal in times where apathy and lethargy rule the day of the complacent. We try to shake things up and offer a temporary home as we travel this sod until we reach higher ground and connect into the everlasting life from above, here on the earth as it is in heaven. For more information, you can email us at thecottage at dken.cc. That is thecottage at dken.cc. To see the sermon slides, you must use the Spotify app. They will appear in a video. Hi, welcome back to the cottage. We're continuing our Walking with Abraham series, where we're talking about where we talk about second helpings in Genesis 16. Praise the Lord! Well, we've been walking with Abraham, and we boy, we walked a lot through chapter 15. So we actually finished that in Sunday school. So I don't remember how many messages we did in chapter 15, but we're ready to go to. Uh, Genesis 16, I call this second helpings. and um, you, We talked about in Sunday school how God enters a covenantal relationship with Abraham and two walk beside each other, but then God understands that he has to do certain things alone because we don't measure up, even though he invites us to do so. And I'm wondering, do we ever think, in a sense, that we need to help God out? <laughs> God needs a hand. <laughs> You know, we're always trying to help things, you know. Uh, uh, it's amazing. I named my oldest daughter Teresa. And I remember my sister Teresa, who always was trying to help mom and dad out, you know. So she thought that was what she had to do. And, of course, I'm the baby of the family, so she had to, you know, parent me because, you know, I needed someone. to. So she thought she could help out and it just made me so angry because I'm like, you're not my parents. And boy, I'd love to have to ability to talk to her today, but Teresa and Jubilee, it's amazing how sometimes how they interact, you know, helping Mama out. Teresa's been working in the kitchen to help Alicia out, so it's amazing. She's been cutting vegetables and all kinds of things. She's going to help Mom out. So Sometimes we need to help God out. Well, we left off Wednesday night in Genesis 15, verse 13. We focused on this. It says, And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and thou shalt afflict them for 400 years. And so we talked about that. You can get that online if you weren't here Wednesday night. We talked a little bit about that, how God has seen this ahead of time, and how what's coming. And I wonder if Genesis chapter 16 is kind of along that line, right? So it says in Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now remember, chapter 15 is Abraham going to God saying, I, it's not working out here because you're, you know, I don't have a child yet. What's going on? <laughs> For everything that you said, I got to have a child and I don't have a child. So God then enters into this contractual legal agreement, as we talked about in Sunday school, with Abraham. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. Now we, we don't know this necessarily, or they don't know this necessarily, who's at fault at this time, because biologically what the problem is yet. They don't know. 
But the, of course, the text is letting us know that it's the problem is with Sarah. But she had a handmaid who happens to be Egyptian, whose name is Hagar. Now, you probably remember what happens in this chapter. If you've studied your Bible at all. You probably know the rest of this chapter. But interestingly, Egypt. Here we have an Egypt. Where did the Egyptian come from? Well, Abraham was down there in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Go back to our messages we did there. And there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous land. So you're going to see this in Genesis, how we moved all the world and everything for 11 chapters, and we were in Babylon, which the Bible's going to return to Babylon at the end of chapter 11. But then when we get to chapter 12, we got Egypt, this southern power that's coming into form, and we're going to see how that plays out with Pharaoh and Moses. So it's kind of like looking back and looking forward at the same time and wanting you to understand what do we have here. So obviously, we went through chapter 12. We discussed this at length of what Abraham did down there, and it wasn't pretty. Well, now we're getting another not pretty. And I guess it seems like whenever you bring up Egypt, it's not pretty. Okay? It's not pretty. And so, this is kind of looking back. And then, in, we just read Genesis 15, God tells him that your seed is going to be in a place. Well, it's Egypt. And the readers of the Bible usually know that. Genesis 15, 13, we just read. Most readers of the Bible know that ahead of time. Okay? They know that this is Egypt. That Moses and Joseph, the whole story there, the end of Genesis, the whole Exodus, now what Moses got to do to bring them out. We talked about that in Sunday school. So it's kind of a looking back. Here is Egypt, this massive power in the south. And here it is. Okay? And then you went down there. And what did you do with Sarah? And it was a mess. And you got in the flesh. So we had Genesis 12. I promise that you're going to be blessed, Abraham. And everybody's going to be blessed. Anybody curses you. And all this great promise. And then we have the debacle of chapter 12, verse 10, where he goes down to Egypt. Okay. And now we have Genesis 15. Again, the promise... God is going to say, okay, I'm going, I'm doubling down on this. And we went through that in Sunday school. I'm doubling down with a covenant that we're going to take you through. And then chapter 16 is a repeat of this. We're going back to Egypt in a sense. Because God needs help, right? <laughs> See, Abraham got in verse 10 here. He got to the promised land in verse 9. And we don't know if God would have blessed him if he stayed but he decided to go down to Egypt. He decided to go down to Egypt. For whatever reason. We don't know if it would have been better if he'd stayed in the promised land or not. But he went to Egypt. And now Sarah is taking us to Egypt. And of course, Exodus chapter 12 with Moses. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So Moses is that group in Genesis 15, 13. They're going to be down there in Egypt. But so it's interesting, when Abraham went down to Egypt and had that mess, when he left, Abraham was given a bunch of stuff, including apparently Hagar. And as we said in Sunday school, he went out with a mixed multitude. And so here we have the Egyptians. We have the Egyptians. And they lent them such things that required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. When 
The children of Israel under Moses left. The Egyptians like, do whatever it takes to get out of here. And then Moses says, go ask everybody, borrow stuff from them. Because initially they told Pharaoh, we're going out in the desert to worship God, in the wilderness to worship God for three days. And so, you know, we want the jewelry and we want to look nice. You know, we want to do all these things nice. So they actually spoiled the Egyptians. Well, when Abraham went down in chapter 12 of Genesis, and he came out of Egypt, he had all kinds of stuff. He went down in a famine, and he comes out with all this stuff somehow. But Pharaoh's like, whatever it takes to get rid of you, here, bless you and take all this stuff. <laughs> but just get out of here. And apparently, Hagar was a part of that spoil. And then again, it's going to repeat. So it's kind of looking back and it's looking forward at the same time. It's beautiful here. And as I said in verse 38, that was uh, Exodus 12, 36. Now in Exodus 12, 38, a mixed multitude comes up with Moses out of Egypt into the promised land. That's where we left off in Sunday school. A mixed multitude. How many of them were Egyptians? I don't know. How many Egyptians put blood on the doorpost and the death angel passed over? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say whether any did or didn't. But they are a mixed multitude, meaning they're not all Abraham's tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. There could be some Canaanites or other people that came from different parts of the world and gathered in Egypt during the time of Joseph because of famine. Because we're talking about the international world power at that time. You know, the pyramids? (laughs) You know, you've seen all that in the History Channel, although I don't necessarily know they all got those things right. They they all be... History Channel is not very accurate. A lot of times, it's it's just uh, entertaining, but it's usually they're lying through their teeth. Sometimes, so it's difficult to sort out the truth. But you know the Egyptians. Even if we didn't have them in the Bible, you know the Egyptians because the pyramids and all the things. Okay, so a mixed multitude comes up out. Well, Abraham comes up out of Egypt, and he's got Hagar. Now, this shouldn't be unusual because in Joshua chapter 2, we have Rahab. Rahab, who is listed in the genealogies of Jesus. She heard about what God did in Egypt. And she says, I want to be in that number. And when the saints go marching in, I want to be in that number. So Rahab is, is able to help Joshua and the spies and help, and she is saved. As a matter of fact, if through Rahab, we understand. Boaz is related to Rahab in his family tree. And what does Boaz do? We have Ruth in Ruth 1.16, who is also a foreigner. And Ruth is also in Jesus' genealogy. And we went through that one time. We did the genealogy of Jesus here. And so you got to understand that God somehow is into the foreign women. It would appear. It's strange. In the ancient world, the fact that a woman would be mentioned is ridiculous. And then a woman would be named. And it'd be a foreign woman. And in Hagar's case, a slave from Egypt. How is it that God had all things that he could have told us? Any story about the life of Aaron? What does John say? If we told all the stories about Jesus, the libraries of the world would not contain the books because Jesus was so much. And yet chapter 16, God chooses to focus on an Egyptian slave. Now it's not slavery as we understand it. 
Biblical slavery is entirely different. Biblical slavery is somehow, usually your family got into debt or something, and you or your family had to sell themselves into that to get out of debt, to survive, to eat. Remember, Joseph's like, hey, you want food? You've got to give me your land. You've got to give me this. You've got to give me that. I mean, Joseph's not giving food away. He's selling it at a profit for Pharaoh. Okay, so there could be any reason why she's a slave. But God is into this. So it's amazing. And remember what? In 1 Kings 10.1, and when the Queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon. Here's someone coming up out of Africa to visit Solomon. So this is, this is worldwide reaching how Solomon's fame brought her. So here we have the queen. Somehow she's queen. A woman in power from Africa comes up to Solomon. And says, you know what? Usually when they tell stories, and of course they didn't have the internet back then, so it took a long time, you know, but stories, usually by the time this fish story gets, you know, it was this big, this big, this big. Well, how big was that fish? (laughs) And she says, but when I came here, the stories weren't even close to what I've seen. Of how God has blessed you. God's word went all the way to the Queen of Sheba, foreign... African woman. And she tried to ask him all kinds of questions and he had answers. Interesting, in Acts chapter 8, Philip is out in the wilderness. He just preached revival in Samaria. And then God takes him and has him meet a eunuch of great authority under Candace. Here's another queen, this time of Ethiopia, out of Africa. A queen. And he has come. Someone out of Africa has gotten the fact that they need to be in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. Or whatever festival it is. Came all the way to celebrate at the Jewish Jerusalem temple to worship. And he's trying to figure out Isaiah. He's like, I don't know what is Isaiah saying here in chapter 53. And Philip preaches the gospel to him. And he gets baptized. And he goes back down to Africa. So God is into this. Amazing. It just keeps popping up as you look through the scriptures. So we have all of this before us. We have all of this before us. Verse 2, And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. So she's like, it's my, it's my fault. I pray thee, go into my maid, that it may be I may attain children by her. And Abram <sighs> hearkened to the voice of Sarah. How many times do we see that? Even Moses was told by the Lord to speak to the rock. But he struck the rock. And water didn't come out, so he struck it again. And so God honored Moses to give water because the people needed water. But Moses was angry. But that's why Moses has said he can't go into the promised land because he didn't listen to the voice of God. And here, what do we have? Abraham. Hmm. Listen to the voice of Sarah. Now he, this is the same Abraham in chapter 15 that just went through this covenant with God 
I told you the Jews have this writings called the Apocalypse of Abraham, the Ascension of Abraham, where Abraham is believed to have gone up like Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. He went up into heaven itself and met God through that vision. That's what the Jews, other writings, that tell us what the Jews believed. They believe that Abraham actually went to heaven. It's not in our Bible, but they believe. This Abraham that has visions with God, he's a prophet. But he listens to the voice of Sarah. Why? Because God needs help, right? (laughs) Abraham needs help. I'm his wife. (laughs) I need a lot of help. My poor wife. He listens to the voice. Where have we seen that before? And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desired to make one wise, she shook fruit of thereof, did eat, and gave it unto her husband. With her, and he did eat. Someone else listened to their wife, and it didn't go that well. We're just trying to help God out. The serpent said, if we eat this, we'll be like God. We're trying to grow up, and we're trying to be like God, right? So we eat this, we're going to be like God. Oops. Oops. Now, again, Genesis 16 is legitimate in the ancient world. I know it may, unless you're Mormon, I guess, (laughs) it may seem odd to us. But legally, across all the cultures of that time period, Hammurabi, for crying out loud, legally, it's legitimate. But if you have a wife and she cannot bear children. Okay, this is recorded, isn't it? My wife's oldest sister. Her husband, married, and a wife, no children. Then he married again, because Hindu custom, you can marry again. And he married my wife's sister. And then the first wife had children. <laughs> And then my wife's sister had children. And now you got a man with two wives and three children. Crazy dynamics. Crazy dynamics. It happens today over there in the East. Till the day. Why? Because the whole reason for a man and a woman to come together is the man and woman's going to die, and the Chinese messed it up with the one child <laughs> policy. And now the Chinese are in terrible trouble. The Japanese don't even bother having children because they're too busy working. Now they're in problem. I don't know if they have social security over there or not, but they don't have any kids in Japan. You know, because nobody wants them. So this is legitimate what she did. But we're going to see it continue. Jacob has Leah and Rachel, two wives. Now, Hagar is not considered a wife. Hagar is just considered someone through which Abraham can sire a child. But she doesn't have the standing of a wife. Although she thinks she does, and that's part of the problem of this chapter. (laughs) She thinks all of a sudden, wow. Okay, I'm probably better off with Abraham than I was in Egypt as a slave. Especially if you read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, how much Abraham is blessed. And I showed a movie, I think it's on Prime Video right now, it's called His Only Son, and it's, it's a movie about Abraham. 
And mom and dad were watching it the other day. But you can see that people notice Abraham. Wow, you know, you're God. All these people want to be friends with Abraham because God's blessing him. I mean, Melchizedek's out there. They're all like, okay, wow. God blesses you. (laughs) We want to be around you. Okay? So Hagar is not missing out by being with Abraham. But now she's like gone a step above because she actually has sired him a child. And that's going to happen throughout this chapter. Genesis 27, 13. And and his mother, this is Rebecca, said unto him, Jacob, before he sets out and gets his two wives, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice and go and fetch me them. When Jacob lies to his father and says, I am Esau, it's all Rebecca's design to help God out. Now, God told Rebecca, in your womb is two sons and they're going to fight. And the older will serve the younger. God prophesied it. Because she was having terrible labor pains. And as a matter of fact, they fought to get outside the womb that, that when Esau came out, <laughs> Jacob was holding on to his foot trying to get up there and get out. Because it was a fight for who's firstborn. Because firstborn means you get all the stuff. You get a double portion of everything. You're the, the one in charge. So here's Rebecca telling Jacob, you just listen to me. Because she's trying to help God out. We need help. It's like those second helpings sometimes. You go up there and you eat. Like Thursday night, they had chili and I ate. And then they brought out the pie. Oh my. And I got a hold of a piece of pie. Oh my, it was good. Second helpings. Man, that pie tasted good. It was wonderful for about 30 minutes. But then after that, oh my Lord. Those second helpings can be troublesome. That pie was, I don't know what it was, but it was, wow. Baptists know how to make pies. Okay, it was good. But those second helpings can get you. And here Rebecca is trying to help things out. Sarah's trying to help God out. Hager's like, okay, I'll help God out. And how many times we want to help God out and we get in the flesh when we do that? So, what happened in Genesis 6-2? We talked about that. The sons of God saw the daughters of men. And they were fair, and they took them wives of the daughters of men, and all which they chose. In other words, God has designed it how families work, and these divine beings came down here and decided to do something else other than God. His plan. And we got the mess. We got the giants and Nephilim, and David has to kill Goliath. It's a mess. We get the whole flood. Why? Because these beings are trying to do something that God didn't intend. Now, Abraham is just following the legal rights of what he's supposed to do. And it's at, he doesn't tell his wife. Now, he is a patriarch. He probably could. He could tell his wife this is the way it's going to be. He could. No, she's the one that comes up with all this. She schemes this. She figures this out. These divine beings, they come down. These spiritual beings. And they decide that they're going to create something entirely different and it's actually where we get the demons from. It's crazy. I mean, it's, it's, it's the Bible. <laughs> Some crazy story. Genesis 16.3 Hagar Hagar And Sarah, Abram's wife, 
took Hagar. It's her maid that she got in Egypt. Remember she went into Egypt? I remember what all happened down there where Abraham took Sarah, gave her to Pharaoh. But it's Hagar, it's Sarah that arranges this marriage. Here it is, Genesis 12. 12, 15. The princes also Pharaoh saw her, saw Sarah, committed her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. She had no choice. And Abraham went along with it, played along with it. So this is probably where Hagar came out, because when Pharaoh probably did the deed, there's nothing to say that he didn't. Now it's a strange irony that Sarah is going to flip the script upon Abraham and now say, Abraham, you're going to do this. And it all evolves around Egyptian. Interesting. Now, Abraham is going to go into an Egyptian, and the Egyptian went into Sarah. I guess Pharaoh was a bit taken with Sarah. <laughs> and Sarah was taken into his harem. And now Sarah takes Hagar and she's mine to do with whatever I want and says I'm going to do this because I have to have a child and I am the problem so I'm going to do this and not let God do this. Not let God do this. And Abraham's going to play along. Back again, Genesis 15, 13 that we talked about when we started this morning. And he said unto them, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land. Talking about when they're going to be down there in Egypt. Well, now we have a stranger in the land with Abraham, in the family, and now we got a child that's going to come from this strange land. Strange land that is not theirs. Strange. Could this be because what they did already in Egypt? In other words, are they going to be oppressed in Genesis 15 saying that they're going to be oppressed? Could it be because of what happened with Hagar and what happened with Abraham back in chapter 12? Is there some kind of connection here? Is it pointing to what will come? Sarah was placed in jeopardy with Pharaoh, and now Abraham has his own Egypt again to deal with, where he has to deal with this. Now, verse 4. So Abraham went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. So now she says, oh, look at me. Look at me. And now Sarah is despised. By Hagar. Oh, I've got the... Oh, I can't do that work because I've got the master's child inside. You know, I can't work. Whatever. I don't know what she did. The Bible doesn't specifically discuss it. But things change. And later on, we're going to see how this eyes and seeing works out tonight in the message. Come back at 6. We'll finish this off. But notice in verse 5 then, And Sarah said to Abraham, My wrong be upon thee. I made a mistake. <laughs> but you are my husband. You're going to have to fix it. I've given my maid into the bosom. And when she saw, she saw 
that she had conceived, what she sees, then I was despised in her eyes, and now Sarah's like, you're going to have to do something about this. You've got to fix this mess. Well, dear, it was your idea to begin with. <laughs> it was your idea to begin with. What do we do when people, we find out people have sinned and things are bad and they're wrong? Do we offer them mercy? Sarah's, you know, this is a slave. And Sarah made all this up and then what's, what do we do here? What do we do? Sarah's needing mercy from God, but she's not willing to show mercy to Hagar now. Of course, Hagar's acting crazy. It's a mess. It's a mess. Verse 6. But Abraham said to Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleases thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, Hagar, she fled from her face. Now, Hagar's still pregnant. So what happens? Sarah deals harshly with Hagar. So then Hagar says, well, I don't have a future here. And she runs away. She flees. She flees. Right? What happened in Exodus chapter 1? And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service, subjugation, wherein they made them serve was with rigor. Could it be again? What happens in Genesis 12 and Genesis 16? Is it somehow tied to how this turns about? And then the children of Israel are dealt with by the Egyptians harshly. But Sarah is the one who dealt harshly with Hagar. Is it somehow related? I don't know. The Bible doesn't address it. And in Exodus 14, and it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. The children of Israel flee just like Hagar fled. Just like Hagar fled from Sarah. Then God allows them after the Passover, after the death of the firstborn, children are involved. The firstborn son. We have the firstborn son with Abraham. We have this battle about the firstborn. And as the hearts turn like a soap opera, as the world turns, is that the stomach turns? What is that called? Is that on TV anymore? Do they do soap operas anymore? I don't know. You got all this mess. You got... Abraham going down to Egypt to watch the Super Bowl in Vegas. What stays in Vegas? How's that? I don't even understand. Whatever. What happens in Vegas stays. Anyway. Abraham goes down to Egypt, gives Sarah away. She's taken. And he comes out with all this stuff. And it's a mess when you figure out Pharaoh. And then later on, what we have? We have Pharaoh again doing what he's doing, and then this battle here. And then you got Hagar, and you got Sarah, and you got all this. Oh my Lord, you got such a soap opera. How's it all going to work? And how's God going to clean up all this mess? It is a mess. So Hagar's on the run, she's left. Back to verse 6. Again, she dealt hardly, and she fled. She fled just like it. Now, 
In John 10.10, we discussed this when we've been going through Abraham in the last chapter. But the thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I am come that they might have life and more abundantly. We mess things up. We mess things up. Sarah is, I want to kill Hagar. I'm not. Even though the child's in a room. The child hasn't been born yet. Dealing harshly. And Jesus talking about the thief here. Actually, most people think this is Satan. But really, ultimately, he's talking about the Pharisees and Sadducees. How they do things. What does he say in Matthew 23, 15? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Because you have to, you're like Sarah on Hagar. Shouldn't Sarah have done this? Treated her so harshly when it was all Sarah's plan to begin with. And going back to John 8, we spent a lot of time in John 8 recently. Go back to those messages. You are your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. And he was a murderer from the beginning, and bode not in truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And Jesus says, your father is not Abraham. Your father is Satan, because of what fruit you are bearing. Warning the Pharisees. But what did Sarah do to Hagar? And the Pharisees are much the same. Making the same mistake. They're in the flesh trying to obey God. Like Paul was when he was Saul. Trying to obey God but in the flesh and not realizing that God was going to do something else. Matthew 9-11 When the Pharisees saw it, they said to the disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Matthew 9-11 They were monitoring Jesus. Why are you doing this? Verse 12, but when Jesus heard that, he said to them, they that be whole need not a physician, but those that are sick. Of course, he thinks, according to John 9, he thinks that the Pharisees are blind. They, the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch. In John 9, he tells the story of the blind man that gets healed, and he says, he's not blind, you are. You claim to see, but you cannot see, and you're blind. He's talking about the Pharisees. Need. The sick need. God. Matthew 9.13 But go ye and learn what meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You claim to be righteous. But he says in Matthew 5 that our righteousness must succeed the righteous scribes of Pharisees. We went through that. He's saying, I'll have mercy. Sarah didn't have mercy on Hagar. They're not having mercy. Matter of fact, they want to stone Jesus. He says, you're not of Abraham when you do that. You're in the same pitfall of Genesis 16. When you will not have mercy. I came to give life, not death. Sarah wants to kill Hagar. Then later on, the Egyptians are trying to oppress God's people. It's back and forth like the Cold War. Who's going to have more nukes? Who can get to the moon and put rockets on the moon first? And have weapons in their satellites? And it's a never-ending mess. Brother against brother, fighting. 
What's he talking about here? Hosea 6, 6, for I desired mercy and not sacrifice. Not sacrifice. If all you're worried about is sacrifice, no, that's not what I'm after. I'm after mercy. The reason why you sacrifice is so that you can get to God to get his mercy. It's not so you just obey a bunch of rules. I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Micah 6, 6 is the same thing. That was Hosea 6, 6. Jesus is talking about this when he talks to the Pharisees. The same ones who are like Sarah over Hagar. Wherewithal shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Is that what God really wants? Verse 7 in Micah 6. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? Is that what God really wants? Does God want the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Is that what he's after? He has showed you, oh man, what is good. What the Lord doth require thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. To walk humbly with God. Chapter 16 is them trying to do what the Pharisees do to legally figure out how we can help God out and do all this stuff. Finding loopholes in the law, and we're going to do, and then Sarah's like upset, and it's a mess. And God's like, I don't want you just to do all that legal stuff. I want mercy. Show mercy unto Hagar. God has done it. We showed you all the other times that God did it throughout the Bible. And John five thirty nine says, "Search the Scriptures." Or also, the Greek here can also be, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. They thought they had eternal life in the word of God. They're they which testify me. He says, you're searching the scriptures, Pharisees and Sadducees, but you can't find me. You talk about the Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming, we say. they Back then they said, the Messiah is coming. When the Messiah is coming, when he comes, he's going to fix everything. The Messiah is coming. Jesus says, I'm here. And you can't see me. You're blind. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You know what they do? They sacrifice Jesus. They killed Jesus. They did exactly what Micah 6 said not to do. They put Jesus on the cross to kill him. Because the thief cometh to kill, steal, and destroy. They kill him. Because they couldn't see what God was trying to do. You can't find me. You can't find mercy. You can't find love in their scriptures. Come on, Sarah. Give Hagar a chance. Because God's going to give her a chance. Verse 40. And you will not come to me that you might have life. All you have to do is come to me and have life. Sarah, just come to me. Don't do your own program. Just come to me. Why are you doing a Hagar? Why are you in the flesh? Why are you thinking that's going to get me excited? I've got something going on here and I'm going to do it. Just let me do it. Luke 19. Jesus. We're getting ready to do Palm Sunday, right? Jesus is riding in on Palm Sunday. And as he's riding that donkey, and they just went and argued again with the Pharisees about the rocks will cry out, and they want to stone Jesus. And they said, if you pick those stones up, those stones will start singing. When he was coming near, he beset the city, and he wept. Everyone talks about Jesus weeping at Lazarus' burial site. This is the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Everybody knows that Jesus wept in John 11 and in Lazarus. Do you know Jesus weeps in Luke 19 
Weeping over the city, saying, If you had known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belongeth unto thy peace, but now they're hid from thine eyes. Luke 19, verses 41 and 42. You're blind, you can't see. Come on, Sarah, you're blind, you can't see. And you're taking your frustrations out on Hagar. Verse 43. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, compass thee about, keep thee in on every side. They thought as long as they got the temple. Well, remember in, in 1 Samuel 5, they just brought the ark out and they thought if they had the ark, they could defeat the Philistines and they lose. Samuel's sons die. Eli falls over and breaks his neck. And they take the Philistines take the ark. The Pharisees thought the same thing. We just got the temple. We got the temple. Listen, the enemy is coming. He's going to overtake you. The temple's going to be destroyed. You're missing the point. It's not about killing animals. I didn't come to kill another animal. Verse 44. And shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and thou shalt not leave one stone upon another. That's exactly what happens. They all have to leave Jerusalem. They have to go to the fortress called Masada that Herod built. And the Roman legions surrounded them. They were told not to destroy the temple. But you know how soldiers are. They couldn't help themselves. They burnt the temple to the ground. They destroyed the temple. Desecrated it. Destroyed it. Destroyed Jerusalem. And they surrounded the Jews. And they let them hide out in Masada until they starved them to death. And millions of them died hiding out in that fortress. Why did all that happen? Because they knew not the time of thy visitation. You didn't know. You didn't see me. Instead, you wanted to sacrifice me. You wanted to cut me to pieces. Put me on the cross. Because you didn't see. You didn't know that I'm doing something here. I'm doing something powerful. And it goes back to what we just did in Sunday school at the end of Genesis 15 where that covenant is cut between God and Abraham. It's like, I have come to give you life. I have come to reach you. Can you not see? Satan is death. I am life. Not just life, but abundant life. To give you life. If you receive it. We're always trying to help God out. (laughs) The way we help God out is to trust Him, follow Him, work with Him. And He'll bring us in the right line. Sometimes we make mistakes like Sarah did with Hagar. Sometimes we make mistakes like Abraham did with Hagar. Sometimes Hagar makes a mistake of getting prideful and when God exalts her, we have to be careful of these things. But as we walk with Abraham, we see the struggle. And we might see our own struggle as we're trying to get through this life. And we're struggling and sometimes we feel like we've got to help God out. And God's like, just wait a minute now. I'm doing something here. I'm doing something here. Would you just let me do this? And you trust me and follow me. Father God, we do not want to miss your visitation. We want to understand what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. 
We want to understand that Abraham was struggling and Sarah was struggling. The family was struggling to see that you were going to bring this through. It had been 10 years. 10 long years. Between chapter 12 and chapter 16 and Sarah was fed up and said, we're going to get this done somehow. Because Sarah's like, we got to do it. She's just trying to be a good wife to see things done in the house and get it done. And sometimes we get in the flesh and we fail to see you and that mercy that you offer. The Pharisees couldn't see it. They eventually do. Saul becomes Paul. And in Acts chapter 6, many came to the Lord. They saw. Help us to see what you want us to see in chapter 16. Help us to see that your mercy is in place. For help in a time of need. For us to get right with you and right with one another. Even when we try to help you out and things don't go quite right. Forgive us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Holy. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this broadcast. You can find out more about us at dkin.cc. That's D-K-E-N dot C-C. We look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you.